2: Welcome to flame on i am brian i have here my brother jeff
1: how's it going guys
2: we are here to get today not to gay but we could be here to gay as well we are here today to talk about something we've promised for a long time we are going to talk all about the show hannibal
1: although now it's like an in memoriam
2: it is and it isn't this is the thing uh we'll 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 get to that um but first and foremost we do want you to know that uh flame on if you've never heard us before and I don't know why you'd be stumbling upon us. It's not like we're on the terrestrial radio, but we are a Gay Geeky Podcast. However, today we have 50-50 gay, straight, non-breeding, and absolutely just recently finished breeding. or started breeding? I don't know.
1: I did put a lot of work into it, and I'd like to say I think I did a pretty good job.
2: (laughs) He is adorable. Um, As you probably have heard, if you are a listener that has been with us for a while, on our 100th episode, Jeff was – Floating around, tending to little baby Henry, and uh, doing Henry, other things.
1: Let's let's not forget. This is the geek in me, Henry Norin, the oh. first name of the Silver Surfer, Norin Rad. How did I Henry's forget? Middle name.
2: I mean, I think that's like if I can have a theme in things, I get you for him or get him. It has to be that.
1: Oh, who well, else? You know, well, I was just talking. I, I've been selling some of my my physical comic books as a means to you know complete the switch to digital, and I just. I was tempted to but I will never be able to bring myself to selling my complete run of Silver Surfer volume 3. That's that's like over 130 or 40 issues and I just those I, I, that's the one book I'll keep I think.
2: I mean this is totally not the topic but I will just jump in to say I agree completely, except that I think later in the run there's probably some issues you could part with, but.
1: But the complete the completionist in me, I, I have to have the whole thing.
2: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't blame you entirely. So yeah. we have, if you've heard us for a while, you know we're we're a big we're big fans of Hannibal. Uh, Jeff and myself, and then Pat, who could not be with us, he's recovering uh, from an operation and is is, is healing up. Um, we are huge Hannibal fans. We've watched it all three seasons.
1: Would you Would you call us? fanables
2: i think no and I, I i would say that the fanibles, of course fans of hannibal just you know make sure we're clear um they're more interactive with brian fuller on twitter i would say i mean you can call yourself a fanable and not be that person but i wouldn't deign myself as that level of fan i love the show i mean i've certainly bought the dvds or blu-rays bought the soundtracks talk about it as many times as i can i mean it's it's not quite doctor who to me but it's, it's up but this there.
1: this is one of like you have had a long list of fuller shows this is probably the first one that i have really come to appreciate very much you didn't get into pushing daisies this much i did i never watched pushing Daisies. what i never watched it what are yeah, you kidding I've, me? Every time that you would talk about it or I would see any kind of of ads for it, it seemed so saccharine sweet <sighs> that I just I it was almost off-putting like I could never get near it because it seemed so just joyful and over the top and and just like I said, so sweet and romantic like ah, just not not my not my cup of tea well, normally.
2: I, I get that. And honestly, I wouldn't be that into it either. But there's something about pushing daisies. Now, of course, Brian Fuller, showrunner, creator of both shows Wonder Falls, Dead Like Me, somewhat. I think he was a co creator. First season. First season. Um, now doing the Neil Gaiman adaptation, or the adaptation of Neil Gaiman's American Gods for stars. Most recently, I don't know, Jeff, you, you knew this. He is working on Spielberg's uh, Amazing Stories.
1: I had seen a mention of that.
2: Now I don't know how far that'll get. I mean, that's very pre-production, but you know, it's we got, got Spielberg behind it. It's it's a big thing. I think it'll happen. But mm-hmm. you know, between those two things and trying to bring back Hannibal in some form, Brian Fuller's a pretty got a pretty busy guy, and, and and I'll actually will say he's a pretty guy too. He, he's a to very
1: well kept man.
2: I, I I definitely there aren't too many creators slash. Actors slash Hollywood famous people type that I can I could say that I would have a thing for. I mean we've you know if you've really listened for a long time you may know of my thing for Gillian Anderson so we'll get to that but I can definitely say Brian Fuller I, I kind of have a thing for him. and it's not just because he spells his name the same way I do but that is part of it I think small part.
1: Well I mean, what's funny too is like in in the show Hannibal Hannibal Lecter himself is a very well dressed man. Yes. He is all about the the suits and he has mastered the plaid suit. And if you think that the idea of a plaid suit is kind of just no and too over the top and Mads Mickelson pulled the damn thing off. And the reason why is because Brian Fuller basically dresses like that during his regular life.
2: Oh, he does. I mean and, and I am totally not that person. Like as a gay man, I, I definitely have some pretty weak – clothing game if you will i don't do the suit thing i don't do the dress up thing really unless i have to but if i were to completely reinvent my look i think that would be the way to go i really do
1: it's a very very i don't know it's it's a sharp it's a sharp style
2: it is it's impressive and and you know even if even if you don't I mean, this, we are totally way off the rails already. Even he's at if least you, talking about Hannibal. That's well, true. I want to get back to Pushing Daisies real quick, though. But even though, like, you know, you're in a situation where, let's say you're a software engineer, maybe you work for the government or whatever, like going to work in a suit, you're pretty much going to be a little out of place in most situations, but no one will ever say that you don't look good. You know what I mean? Like, even right. if you're not fitting the vibe of the office, you're still going to look pretty sharp. You'll and I'm
1: a stress man in the
2: office. Exactly. And I've started to realize that as I get a little older in my life. Now, back to pushing daisies. You need to you need to watch it, first of all. I don't know how as your older brother I have let you get this far into your life without seeing it.
1: I mean, since, you tried. You definitely tried. Yeah, but I think now
2: you could get into it and actually appreciate it a bit more. Not because of the saccharine nature, because to be quite honest, there is that, but there's so much wit and beauty that isn't related to their romance. they the two main characters in that. Um, of course, another Hollywood type that I, I admit a bit of a thing for. Um, oh gosh. Lee, Lee Full- Pace. Lee Pace. I kept want to say Lee Fuller. <laughs> I think that's yeah. a bit of a wish fulfillment on somebody's part. Anyway, well,
1: um, know, he, he is on my, my man crush list. So <laughs> he's, he's pretty, but like
2: y- you, you like him. And so, you know, that combined with, uh, Kristen Chenoweth, and um, the, the love interest, Anna. Oh, oh I
1: don't even remember. Yeah, crap.
2: Anyway, overall, great show. You need to watch it. So Hannibal is especially coming from the same man who created that show. It is almost a complete 180 in tone, but not in style.
1: Right. Even uh, though the style is entirely different, it is still brimming with the style that he likes.
2: Fuller is... A visual – like he demands a level of visual quality and uh, cinematography that you just don't see in other television shows. Uh, Very influenced by uh, Barry Sonnefeld, I think, who also like – I think he co-directed or directed the first episode of Pushing Daisies. But like there's like a a through line if you kind of look at Fuller's work. Visually to other uh, movie cinematographers. I mean, Fuller, even though he's a TV guy, he could absolutely transition to the film world and, and do amazing stuff. Um, Tar Sim, if you think of his visual style and cinematography that he brings the sh- to the movies, it's that kind of lush visuals, slow, lingering dolly shots. Um,
1: and Tar Sim is also the one who did the Lee Pace starring movie, uh, what was it, The Fall?
2: The Fall. Yes, which is an an amazing movie. Another one of my favorites um, of his anyway. But so like there's this visual storytelling that Fuller does that's just magnificent. The other thing about Fuller's shows, and this is absolutely true of Hannibal, is his attention to detail on things that you don't maybe need, but it enriches the material. And in Hannibal, it's all about food and uh, cuisine.
1: It'll make – Every scene you see, because of course in the show Hannibal is is just he's an accomplished surgeon, he's an accomplished cook, he is he is a master with a a knife in his hands. He plays the theremin. He plays the theremin and the harpsichord, Uh, but you know. But it's just that whole you know you're watching a cannibal turn people into food that'll make you hungry. And you have to reconcile that after the fact going, you know, I know what this is supposed to be, but it looks delicious.
2: I mean, and and the reality of it, of course, is um, Fuller brought in uh, at least one, but possibly several uh, cuisine experts. Uh, One of them actually had a blog, I think the main one, and she would uh, kind of talk about the various notes in the scripts. And sometimes Fuller actually would go to her and I can't think of her name off the top of my head. But would go to her and say, I need something and it's related to a leg, like do something really cool with somebody's leg. And she would go out and actually not only figure out what makes the most most cuisine, like, you know, what would be appropriate, but also prepared, I believe, uh, at least the instructions on how to create something with, you know, other meats. I mean, a lot of that food you're seeing, of course, we, you know, if you suspend your disbelief, it's human's. It's long pork, uh, to, to use the uh, the Harris phrase, or the Hannibal phrase, but it's it's food. It's like, you know, they make it out of food that you could right. eat. And I mean, they eat it, so you hope that it's edible. Um, So, like, that attention to detail that he brought in, uh, Brian Reisel, uh, who you may not have heard of before Hannibal. And, I mean, if you're not a big soundtrack score person, you may not have heard of. But his music's very, very atmospheric. He's definitely, like... Kind of a Mark Snow from X Files and um, non melodic, but but can pull out melody of course if he needs to. But if you listen to the soundtracks of Hannibal, of which I think two of the seasons have come out, and there's actually like multi disc for each season. Um, they're they're lush and gorgeous, but like they're very atmospheric. I'll use them. I'll listen to them at work when I just want something in the background. I don't have to think about lyrics or melodies or hooks, and it's just it's just awesome. It's atmospheric. You know, it, you, you think back as you hear certain cues, you think back to certain episodes and certain scenes. It's so, you know, Fuller brings nothing but the most proficient and creative types to his projects. And I think that's another reason it sort of sets everything apart, not the least, including his actors. Right. I mean, we talked about Lee Pace. Uh, I mean, how we have things for him, but he's a, a fine and accomplished actor. Um,
1: Matt never Mich- appeared on Hannibal.
2: what's that? Oh, We're yeah, I know. On Hannibal. We should talk about that, too, when we get to it. Um, Mads Mikkelsen. Let's start with him because even though – I mean the show is called Hannibal. So let's let's start with the guy who's taken on this role, made famous pretty much by um, –
1: What, Casino Royale?
2: Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. He's is the, uh, the James Bond villain. I was saying um, he took on this role that was made famous by Anthony Hopkins. Oh, yes. In, in the movie franchises of Silence of the Lambs and um, – uh, that eventually made Red Dragon, but then Hannibal, the, the titular yeah. uh, third book or whatever. Um, so that's a tall challenge to take on a role like that that has been so completely defined by another actor. And yet, I don't. If I think Hannibal right now, after three seasons and and to the extent that he did it, I don't think about Hopkins really much at all.
1: No, I mean that that movie, those that those series of films were were done so long ago that though in like the popular zeitgeist, people might still reference the, the iconic lines that were made just for like silence of the lambs uttered by Lecter. But in the overall portrayal, you get much more of of, a, a well-rounded full character with the Mads Mikkelsen one, because you actually get much more of a, a, I'm just like not not the motivations behind him, but you you understand his plight and you kind of in some ways you agree when he looks at people who are just disrespectful or you know anybody like you know I'm not saying he's right for what he did but he might not be as wrong as he should be.
2: They definitely color in the hues because yeah I mean Anthony Hopkins up until Hannibal I mean he only done Silence before that. The, he's a villain. He's a pretty obvious, like, badass, evil person. There's not a lot of subtlety. You know, it's pretty much on the nose. Um, you could you could liken him to maybe the Joker played by uh, Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Very uh, comic book, uh, you know, chewing the scenery kind of thing. But Mads doesn't do that. I mean, he is so understated. If anything, like, he's like the Sheldon of serial killers. You know, she, oh, please,
1: he, please don't.
2: Please, please well don't. only in the sense that i know people like that in my life in my work i know people who have that and, and i mean he'll never hear this so i could probably say it without saying his name but there is a coworker of mine who absolutely watches hannibal who has a partner who who actually sort of looks at his obsession with these these kind of shows he loved dexter he loved hannibal i mean and mm. and was a little concerned <laughs> about his his partner's uh
1: is a serial killer show? Oh, yeah! I love those. We gotta watch that.
2: I mean, it's awkward when your partner See him says watch it
1: with, a, with a notepad and a pen. <laughs>
2: are you are you doing stuff when I'm not here that involves this queen and a, and a bone saw? What like what?
1: I, I don't. I, I always wondered why we had so many uh, rolls of uh, saran wrap just laying around. <laughs>
2: um. Yeah. So anyway, like, Mads is is definitely sort of on that like very quiet smoldering uh there are later in the in the show it spans three seasons and you definitely get this arc of the character hannibal but you also get another arc that we'll talk about in a second of his kind of counterpart but by the third season i would definitely say hannibal is starting to exhibit some pretty uh uh, more like the anthony hopkins performance but not as outlandish like he never goes full-on fava beans crazy like i think one time he says something that is a little like crass but you know compared to the anthony hopkins stuff like no mads is hannibal is is the consummate sort of uh i don't want to say gentleman but the,
1: the understated he doesn't have to just put it all out there it's it's the it's the, 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 it's the double meaning of everything he says that yes you know there's the on-the-face meaning, and then there's the underlying, you know, more of the, if you only knew my actual personality, you'd get the second meaning.
2: Yeah. Um, the king of the multiple entendre. Um, yes. So the counterpart, of course, to this to this character, Hannibal, and in the book's original book, Red Dragon. Uh, and
1: kind of that's it.
2: Yeah, I character. mean, they, they expand upon this character a lot, but you have Will Graham, played by Hugh Dancy. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Mr. Mr. Claire Danes.
2: I, you know, I forgot that. Actually, maybe I didn't even realize that. I don't know. Either way, not also. If you're if you're into the bearded gentleman, sort of scholar, again, kind of quiet, sympathetic, or uh, you know, he loves animals, kind of guy. You could do worse. Yeah. I mean, maybe the serial killer tendencies or whatever is kind of bad. But again, nice to look at and seems pretty caring. Um. Anyway, Hugh. Uh. Hugh Dancy's. Uh. Will Graham. All three seasons is definitely the counterpart. Sometimes, in fact, at the beginning, friends. Um, and we are going to spoil the show a little bit. So if you've never seen Hannibal, of course, you, you probably don't want to maybe skip ahead or just come back after you finished. Uh, but uh, the, yeah,
1: this this is a, a retrospective in that we're going to talk about all three seasons.
2: Right. And we're not going to be cagey – well, we're not going to be too cagey. There might be some things we, we leave out, of course, but we don't want you to be shocked when we say that Hannibal does X and we'll – anyway. Yeah. Um, back to the, the matter that Will is the protagonist of the series if, if you really wanted to find somebody in the show that was like the most of – mostly the heroic person. The
1: per, I mean, yeah, the person you're you're trying to root for. Even though the show is called Hannibal and so that does lend itself to ultimately being from – more from Hannibal's perspective for a lot of things. But Will is kind of the, the hero that you hope or you, you hope at least is a good foil to Hannibal.
2: And in the beginning, they are introduced very much and they are colleagues um, and there's even a doctor-patient relationship. On top of a budding friendship, some would even say bromance. Um, some really would say romance. I mean, Fuller, I think, in some of the interviews, has said that they are very much the. He he was exploring the the extremes of male intimacy, non-sexual, like right, really close friendships, such that you lose your sense of identity into the other person. Like like he really loved this idea. This is not in the books at all. This is yeah, no. totally contrived for this representation, but you know, truth be told, uh, and I have not read the book.
0: What, the Red books. Dragon.
2: Yeah, I haven't read Red Dragon. I haven't read Hannibal, or, or I haven't read, actually. I've read, I think, a little bit of Silence, but I have. I need to at some point. I do want to go back and read them, but they're they're a starting off, a jumping off point. Um,
1: well, pretty and, much, uh, Fuller said he like the whole reason why he came up with this show was pretty much Red Dragon. Um, and he looked at all of the points in the book that they just gloss over or just reference, and he thought, I can fill in story there. I can fill in story there because they don't expressly say one way or another. Right. And yeah, in, in Red Dragon, the only thing you know about Will Graham's relationship to Hannibal is that Will is the one who ultimately caught Hannibal. Right. And he, in the process, managed to get a very nasty slash across his stomach and – and there's references in the process of like when Hannibal talks to him in jail that you know he basically Hannibal makes it very clear that the only reason why Will caught him is because Will uh, had more in common with him than Will would like to admit and like that basis right there was all Brian Fuller needed to build what is the, like the architecture of the show
2: and yet i will say that in later seasons as much as the promise of Red Dragon is fulfilled. They do the Red Dragon story masterfully, I think. Um, yeah. they, uh, they also make some pretty big departures from, I think, what you would need to do, to do for continuity's sake with future books. For example, again, let's just go ahead and jump in here. Um, you know The characters that are in the background, there's a lot of great background supporting characters in this show.
1: One of them being uh, Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall. Ah,
2: uh, yes, and you know uh, this is totally a, an aside, but if anyone's out there is a fan of the show or the movie, Girls Will Be Girls. This is I don't know Jeff if you've seen this. It's a it's a dr- three drag queens uh, portray these three old uh, aging sort of women in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, not aging, I guess one of them's not. Too old. So you got Varla Jean Merman as the young ingenue. You've got Coco Peru is sort of one of the older, sort of, you know, struggling to get by. And um oh man, I can't think of his name. I just saw it. Anyway, I'll, I'll look that up while I talk. The uh they did a movie back in the mid two thousands, but I didn't realize until just the other day they've actually made uh like shortly thereafter, I think during the writer's strike. two thousand
1: seven.
2: Yes. They made – they made – what do you call it? They made a web series, like little webisodes, Um, and one of them had Scott Thompson in – from Kids in the Hall, of course, in awesome, like, you know, Kids in the Hall-ish drag playing the mother of Coco Peru.
1: Mm Mm-hmm
2: um and it was great like it's it, you you probably want to have seen the movie to really appreciate it but you know you could watch the webisode episode and sort of just enjoy uh Scott Thompson uh Jack Plotnick who also more recently did uh what's that space 1979 uh, what's that movie Oh
1: yes the one with Patrick Wilson and uh was it Li- Is Liv Tyler in that one
2: Yeah I'm trying to find the name of the uh but, uh, but yeah, the,
1: the but very kind of kitschy, uh, looking f- sci- like retro future, uh, indie film that came out like within the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, no, Jack, um, interesting guy, um, and plays one of the, uh, one of the characters in the girls, Girls, actually the sort of the main character. So, um, anyway, that was totally an aside about Scott Thompson, but in, in, in Hannibal, he does play, um. One of the uh, forensics invest, forensic investigators um, uh, at the FBI, of course, who Will Graham works with, and uh, you know, sort of, oh, Space Station Seventy Six—that was the name of that place. Sorry, okay. look that up. Um, anyway, and so great, great, great choice. Um, but he's—I don't even know if he's in the books. But he's not too much of like. I mean, he's. He doesn't have much of an arc. He's sort of there. <laughs> For yeah. comic relief, almost more than anything. Not too crazy. Not Nothing slapstick. Nothing. Again, this show doesn't do that. But sort of comic relief uh, with his partner, whose name and character name is pretty forgettable, unfortunately. Um, but like other characters like Chilton. OK, uh, Dr. Chilton is the at in the Silence of the Lambs movie. He is the character who runs the Baltimore uh, insane Asylum, or whatever, right. it's, whatever it's called, in this in this TV rendering, he does eventually. No, he he doesn't run it, but he's there. He's there a lot, and he's a big part of season two in it. But by season three, he's kind of been replaced yeah. and uh, messed up pretty badly.
1: <laughs> yeah, that the the ongoing torture of Chilton cuz like in in the movies and in the books like they don't really dress like he has any kind of like speech impediments or they just say he's very he's very weird. He's very, you know, a star fucker. Yes. But for the, you know, criminally insane um And so, like, the season, every time, every season, something horrible happens to him. He doesn't get killed. (laughs) Spoiler. He never gets killed. But he gets more and more maimed throughout the show to the point that at the end of the show, he is basically burned over, like, 99% of his body. He's missing the front of his face. His lips have been ripped off. And he's just not in a good way.
2: No, but... I freaking love – I mean uh, in the movies, it's like whatever. But uh, he, it, it's an actor you've seen. He's a character actor. He does this and that. I can't think of his name. but in Raul
1: the, Esparza. Well, in
2: the show, it's by Raul Esparza. Raul oh. Esparza, if you've never seen him on Broadway or seen any of his Broadway stuff, he is a phenomenal singer and actor. Uh, I saw him first uh, in company, Sondheim's company, and like – like I, had, I think I had heard the soundtrack and I was like, "Yeah, it's okay. But when I watched that production, it was also the production where I believe they play their own instruments. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a cool, like, you know, modern thing they started doing with of Sondheim stuff. It was really awesome to see that, like, char- the characters act and do the thing and then they play instruments. It just, it, the whole thing, it's, it's on PBS. It's on, I'm sure, like Netflix or Hulu. So if you want to look that up. But Ralph Sparza is, is a phenomenal, like, actor. They brought him on the show again this is uh, fuller bringing in all these these great people and he plays this total weasel
1: <laughs> just yeah like just completely like anytime that there's an advantage that he can put out a book or make he get some fame out of uh, the capture and, and then incarceration of any of these horrible because that's the thing like the season one is basically a, a, a very case of the week kind of show. Yeah. It's very much a, well, Hannibal and Will are working for the FBI and tracking down these random killers that all seem to be living in or around the city of Baltimore.
2: Which was a little bit of a contrivance. And they try to make it like make sense by saying that the um, the, the Tattler, the the, the Tattle sort of crime. Yeah. The website that is the uh, uh, oh, gosh, what's her name?
1: Freddie Lowndes.
2: Freddie Lowndes. Uh, who
1: is played by – I think he's a is a man and is even played by Philip Seymour Hoffman in the Red Dragon movie.
2: Right. But they adapted her as a, a woman in this and she's running a website. I think the other one was like a you know tabloid. But right. all these killers are coming out of the woodwork because they're all inspired by the Chesapeake Ripper and the work of Will Graham to try to catch these people. So now that they see someone out there is publicly trying to catch these serial killers – they want to up their game to attract the attention of Will Graham. They play that storyline out a couple times mm-hmm. and use the, the Tattler uh, sort of in a way that it, it, it makes that sort of uh, media commentary and media – how much is the media actually exciting and exacerbating these, these, these killers and, and what have you. So they, they play right. that a couple times in the seasons. Um, the other big departure from the con- continuity of the books and the movies they do is, of course, with uh, the character who wants to kill uh, and/or consume Hannibal.
1: And oh, uh, oh Doctor uh, Abel Gideon?
2: Well, no, no, not Gideon. Um, the rich uh, heiress uh, or heir and heiress.
1: Oh, oh, uh, Mason Verger.
2: Vergers. Okay. So the Verger storyline is something that you pretty much only ever see in the third book in Hannibal. Right. But for some reason, uh, they decided, let's bring this in early. And they surprised. I mean, again, this is a spoiler, but they surprised, I think, fans of the book when they basically play out the events, although heavily adapted of Hannibal's uh, in in the movie, in the book Hannibal, Verger captures uh, Lecter. And they play the whole thing out where he gets his comeuppance for trying to outdo uh, Hannibal Lecter. Right. I think when they did that, it, it, it again, it's sort of like, again, the jumping off points for a dragon and they're trying to do the prequel. But it became obvious that they were like, OK, well, you know, let's bring in some of this other material. and Let's try to do something. That, that we may or may not ever want to or get to. Do you know what I mean? Like,
1: And that's and I wonder if, if, and this is kind of speaking to the limitations that this show ultimately had, is I wonder if a lot of plot points were made because behind the scenes, they were not ever really able to secure the rights to Clarice. Clarice Starling. That is Starling. a big thing, yeah. And that is, I mean, she was the main protagonist for the second and the third book, uh, even through like this Mason Verger stuff. So because they could never lock her down... They kind of had to, like, basically do not a tap dance, but change things around where Will became the focus wholly instead of being able to say, well, maybe Will's still there and he's helping out, but there's also Clarice here as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's, and, and I don't know that I've, I've actually ever read why they brought that in as much as, you know, that, I mean, obviously that they did, but it, it, it certainly shows that they were not hand bound to, like they weren't slaving to the continuity they weren't trying to uh you know adapt the movies or the books in any kind of authoritarian sort of like we are going to stick to the story away and to their i think to their credit because you know though that can work well in some cases most of the time these adaptations are not served by being slaves to the books
1: yeah, and it, it doesn't do them any favors in terms of being able to put their own spin on the story or even help with surprises or you know it ultimately it, it handcuffs them more than it helps them
2: absolutely and it just it can run them into the uh, into the ground now uh, back to Will Graham because I I think we jumped off a bit with that um, Will Graham. Is of course an FBI agent. Uh, he isn't actually a special agent. He's a kind of consulting agent because yeah. he, he was his psyche vow didn't let him basically go through the t- typical program that they would go through. But he is so talented at profiling these um, these uh, serial killers that he actually starts teaching at Quantico uh, to help train these. Um, these people, these uh, students, these FBI agents, to to become good uh, to catch the criminals.
1: So and so, I, I think I think when Red Dragon came out, I don't think the idea of the FBI profiler was as common as it is now.
2: Oh no, no, Hannibal uh, or, or Will Graham is, I think, fictionally one of the first, and it sort of popularized that idea that then you saw in other media like uh, X Files and Millennia. And uh, other, other various things. But I mean the I, the core idea here is that they are – they have such a good imagination and or they are so empathic or empathetic to the the stories of the people that they're trying to catch that they can put themselves in their their praise head so to
1: like speak. Like in, in basically yeah, it puts them in their mindset.
2: Right. It, it, again, it's imagination but it's also total empathy is the, the thing they play out with Will Graham.
1: And that's kind of the the nice burden of of his, his the the basically the the curse of his powers. If you want to go superhero on this, because it's like the things he does to put his mindset into that of the criminal or the serial killer takes such a toll on him that he it's, it's hard to shake when he's put himself there.
2: Yeah, and he kind of
1: carries it with him.
2: It's it's it is a burden because like you just can't turn it off. It just yeah. it's just haunting him at night, and also suggests that he is prone to his you know, darker tendencies. And so there's a theme in the show, mainly in the second season more than anything, but it certainly, it certainly starts in the first season where even Will Graham could not tell you if he wasn't somewhat to blame for some of these murders that they haven't explained or haven't caught, so much so that they end up accusing him of these murders, of some of the murders of the Chesapeake Ripper. In the second season, he is basically... Locked up, very very reminiscent of Hannibal Lecter, uh, in the whole face mask being wheeled around in the sanatorium or the the uh, same asylum, and sort of being uh, this the suspect of all this stuff. And it's because people see him and just go, God, this guy's crazy. He's unhinged. And oh my God, he he's he's at the right place at the right time so many times that there must be something going on. Of course, right. the viewer knows midway through season one, if not before, that. Hannibal is kind of setting him up to some extent to to be this.
1: Yeah. To take that's,
2: to take the fall.
1: That's kind of the the oddness of the relationship overall the whole over the whole series is that Hannibal in the beginning of the series you think is basically trying to set Will up as the fall guy so that he can kind of continue going on and and not get caught as the Chesa- Chesapeake Ripper. But then, as the show goes on, you realize it's like he's trying to open Will up to the possibility that he and Hannibal are much more similar than Will wants to be able to admit. It. But then he's also looking for that ultimate, ultimate like soulmate in his his uh, his serial killer nature. So it's like he's looking he's looking for companionship, but he also doesn't mind it if it lines up with the fact that hey, well well now people aren't gonna suspect me as the the killer. So it's kind of like a, a twofold reason why all this is happening.
2: I mean it kind of speaks to the sociopath or psychopath, I never get those right, of Hannibal where he sees the utility of Will Graham, but he also is attracted to the sympathy of Will Graham. That like you said, he can he can sort of understand Hannibal's a vocation, if you will, his 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 life, his expression. Um, right. Consummating it in, I think it was season two? Yeah. When indeed. basically Will Graham accidentally or whatever, he's defending himself and he kills a guy. But because, and this is of course after he's been released and he's no one, well, they, they can't legally charge him because they, they realize he didn't actually kill, he's not the Chesapeake Ripper, he didn't do all those murders. But he finds himself in a situation where he, he, he is attacked and then defends himself, kills the guy and then prepares um, the guy that he killed in the way that Hannibal would have prepared or as a sort of a – it's almost like two musicians trading uh, duets or trading solos, if you will. And mm-hmm. like one will play a riff and the other one will play a riff that sort of uses that and sort of expands it and complements it. like total you know admiration mutual admiration kind of thing which at that moment when he does this it's it's pretty dark and you're like oh well protagonist is being stretched a bit far now right yeah um, and then they continue on that in season three they have him basically somebody else another character we haven't really talked about yet but she kills a guy you know that he kind of facilitated a little bit that, that Will Graham is facilitating so Like there's this, this theme now after two instances of him, you know, the second one where he, he dolls up this, this guy that's killed into a. Hi, I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter. It's innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you
2: a way that hannibal would have killed and or what it would have done like showing that will graham even if he is empathetic of hannibal now he is starting to manifest that and do it himself right so um one of the things you mentioned though like like sort of that the the way that all plays out there's another character that comes along actually there's a couple psychologists into this mix um, and they're background characters to a certain extent, but they become pretty prominent in, in by the end and if not earlier. Um, one of them that you know, I have a bit of a thing for is, of course, played by Gillian Anderson from uh, X-Files.
1: As, uh, she plays, of all things, The and you think like at the beginning when she's introduced, like, okay, maybe she just drew the really, really unlucky short straw because she is the therapist for Hannibal Lecter.
2: <laughs> well... But, I mean, and she is, of course. And that's how you introduce introduced to her. But there's so much more than that to her right. relationship with Hannibal.
1: As and you come to find out, yeah.
2: As you come to find out, there, there is certainly – there's this idea that Hannibal Lecter is sort of an influencing uh, sort of character like –
1: He's the devil on your shoulder.
2: Yeah, and that's what Fuller even said. Fuller's like, no, Hannibal Lecter, he's not just a sociopath. He's the devil. He will lead you down these paths to make these bad decisions and do these terrible things. That's his That's his job, to corrupt. And so he corrupts uh, Bedelia du Maurier, uh, Dr. D- Bedelia's character, to the extent that she ultimately ends up killing one of her own patients <laughs> and then I- kind of – Freaks out and calls Hannibal and is like, oh, oh, my God, I, I, I accidentally – well, at first it's sort of an accident. You're not sure what happened, but they eventually show it. And you're like, no, no, she pretty much stuck her fist down the guy's throat.
1: Yeah, it was one of those like – it it was a, 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 a killing of, of convenience because basically like the guy has a seizure where he swallows his tongue. So she – in the beginning, like as the season as the scene plays out, you're like, okay, so at this point there's that line where she could be going in to help kind of get his tongue from the make sure he's not swallowing his tongue. But then she just crams her whole fist down his throat and basically kills
2: him. So if you're a fan of fisting, um it's not what you might think, but it's got an element of some simil- and it's it's gross. Like that scene isn't done until season three. And um The guy she um, orally fists is – what's his name? Skylar.
1: Zachary Zachary, Zachary Quinto.
2: Yeah, Zachary Quinto. I mean it's – she's fist – Scully is fisting through the mouth uh, Spock. It's kind of weird. And this show –
1: like – you have to at least give it to NBC like and whatever – however Brian Fuller managed to pull it off, where this show aired at 10 o'clock on, on Friday nights at the end of it. But I think it was not a Friday – I think it was like a Thursday night show for They've the first moved two it.
2: seasons. They moved it to Friday, to Saturday. They moved it a, a lot in the schedule, but yeah.
1: But yeah, it, it was just a 10 o'clock show and yet – they NBC gave them carte blanche in a lot of ways to do a lot of different stuff that you don't think should air on like a network television channel.
2: From the beginning, I was sitting there. Uh, Pat and I watched the whole season, the whole series together, and I just, I just could not, could not believe that this was a show I was watching on it, on a, on a basic cable network. In Safe Harbor, of course, you know, after the point where kids should be in bed and whatever. But that it was on television and it wasn't edited, I, I was shocked. I mean, I wasn't super offended or, like, grossed out. I, I'm, of course, pretty jaded about all that now. But it's because I've seen other shows on not basic cable, like, that a basic cable show would do this is, is unprecedented, I think. Um, and dealing with really dark subject matter consistently. I mean, there's nary an episode that goes by that somebody isn't killed and killed brutally and artistically. I mean, again, and
1: it's dwelled on and kind of focused on. And like you said, very artistic, like they take some long lingering shots of things that you should not be doing on, on prime time. I'm
2: trying to think, I I can't even tell you what the worst of it is, but certainly um, one of the most disturbing scenes in the first season, I remember was there were people buried alive in a like a like a compost bed for mushrooms
1: yeah they basically had like the (laughs) the fungus use the body to kind of grow and the people are still alive
2: yeah throughout this
1: whole process they're they're put into like a uh, almost like a medically induced coma they're
2: diabetic and they go into you know shock of low blood sugar but they're kept barely alive as sort of living zombies (laughs) uh
1: just to feed mushrooms
2: feed mushroom it's horrific and visually, it's it's pretty gross because one of the people, of course, they, when they discover it, you know, actually wakes up and is alive for a little bit. But, like, if you think about it, it's horrific. <laughs> so, like, they take – you know, that's, that's, that's on the more, like, mental, like, you know, intellectual level. You're like, oh, God, that would be awful. Then you have people's limbs just getting cut off, blood going everywhere, and then it being served, you know, in high cuisine style. Back to them – Mm -hmm. like fed to the okay so let's let's so i wanted to talk a little bit about um some of the other amazing background characters uh i want to get to abel gideon because that's the one i'm sort of i I was getting all excited about um
1: played by eddie izzard
2: eddie izzard who i
1: just just came to orlando just
2: missed i had said to myself years ago if eddie izzard ever comes to orlando i'm gonna go see him if you've never seen eddie izzard's comedy You are missing out. Not only is he an incredibly talented comedian, but he does this gender bending executive transvestite thing. At least he used to. I don't know if he does it as much.
1: I think he still does.
2: Does he still? But it's 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 it's, he's not he's he's a heterosexual you know guy. And and this is by no means saying that you you couldn't be, but he he is absolutely a transvestite. Like he dresses in women's clothing and makeup and drag because he feels empowered by it. But he's not a homosexual, so um, it it's uh, I think for some gay people it's it's odd, you know, when when heterosexuals do drag, but it's totally a valid thing. And he does it and does an amazing job of it, looking f- phenom- looking phenomenal. But then coming out and doing really funny funny British sort of comedy. He just
1: When like as an actor though, like I remember his first couple of roles, like he was in the the really cheesy uh, movie Mystery Men as one of the goons. <laughs> but going from that to like this, like he is he is basically his character on Hannibal is almost like the he he took credit for the Chesapeake River kills, but no one in in the fbi ever really thought he was the chesapeake ripper he just started taking credit for the kills and in the process like he did this his character did murder his wife i believe on his own and that oh, was legitimate. not just
2: wife wife and family
1: wife and, yeah that's right it was like like a fa- holiday meal it's um, pretty awful <laughs> but the just the fact that like everything else that the character goes through it's just this enthralling performance that like, you can't take your eyes off of it. And he's actually like the, almost like the proto Hannibal that will first comes up against in the run of the show.
2: Yeah. He's already institutionalized at the time that he's introduced and Shilton has been what they call it. Psychic driving. He's basically been convincing this, this, this inmate who, who did earn his way into this facility, uh, for criminal insane, uh, uh, criminals, <laughs> criminally insane criminals.
1: Just to um, reiterate.
2: Yeah. He uh, he is so convinced that he is a Chesapeake Ripper because uh, Chilton basically kind of wants him to be uh, – n- it's, it's unclear if it's strictly for his own benefit, but I mean it's basically – Chilton's whole arc is everything he does is to pretty much further his own career mm-hmm. and to make money off of these insane people. But uh, he kills a nurse like – really really awful brutal that's that's another episode where the opening is 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 really visceral and bloody and horrible when you really see how this this poor nurse gets killed and and he does that, but he does that because he thinks that that's now his his thing he's this this ripper and proceeds to to escape and do some terrible things that sort of try to validate him as the ripper um until, of course, now Hannibal Lecter, who is the Chesapeake Ripper, sees all this and is enraged because, of course, he wants to get the credit for his kills. Right. Comes for Gideon and, and takes him out. And the arc of that is really fascinating because they sort of deal with what is actually happening, I think, up through the second season. And he's taken out. Like, he's done away with. But in the third season, you actually see more, more of the. You see the back, yeah. You see, like, oh, this is what happened, and that, that that Lecter catches Gideon and and proceeds to feed him and fatten him up like you would a, a prized uh, hog or or heifer to slaughter, and you want to make them as as tasty as possible. Like, does all this, and they portray it, and they show uh, Gideon understanding what Hannibal's doing while he's being fed these like snails some kind of snails, I forgot what the deal is, but like snails fed some fancy thing that, that he eat that, that Gideon then eats so that Hannibal then can take his meat, his leg and his whatever And then serve it back to him. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, again, you see the visceral awfulness. You see the the, the beauty of the preparation of the the thing. And then you deal with the psychological horror that is eating your own flesh and yet being in complete, like, no control. You kind of have to do it. Because if you don't do it and you're rude to Hannibal, he'll just kill you. He'll outright murder you sooner.
1: Right, so, this is almost like a well I'm showing you the respect of, of treating you, you know, basically turning you into a very very fine piece of cuisine and if you disrespect me, well then I'll just butcher you and have, you know, I'll turn you into hamburgers.
2: Basically. No, and, and the way Hannibal disposes of you is sort of a sign of how he f- views you. Like if you are just meat, you know, he may slaughter you and just prepare you in some whatever way, but like certain people that he respects like even um, Will Graham at some point, like he respects and empathizes and loves so much that you know he at one point wants to serve him up in a way that is very special and very uh, throwback to uh, it Hannibal, I think. He's trying to carve open his skull.
1: Yeah, And yeah, he, that was out of Ray the Ray Liotta I mean,
2: character, and he's wanting yeah, to eat his brains or whatever. Like, you know, again, it that was a. Uh, more of a show of respect I think than like other 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 characters but with Gideon Gideon not only portrays this proto-Hannibal that Eddie Izzard brings this non-comedic and totally non-comedic role but does it just in a way that is like more like a Hannibal Lecter character almost than Hannibal Lecter is is really cool and and that's a total new thing like they added that completely um I think partly because uh Eddie Izzard of course had a relationship with Fuller from the uh, the reboot of the Munsters.
1: Uh, oh, that's right, I forgot about it.
2: Mockingbird that. Lane, I think. Something that
1: was basically the, you know, the not the world's biggest, but one of the most remarkable recent memory, uh, just completely failed TV pilots.
2: Which I mean, and it's another Fuller thing. And if you like Fuller, you'll see lots of it in the sh- in the project. And and uh, what's his name? Eddie Izzard played uh, Grandpa, grandfather. Yeah, Grandpa yeah grandpa the 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 very uh nosferatu sort of vampiric member of the monsters in in eddie is or in um fuller's adaptation like total brutal evil like like vampire you know consuming like the life force of these people so that he could be made young um but yet i mean that relationship i think to Fuller made him more, you know. Oh, let's bring you into the show. Let's let's give you something interesting to do. Let's make you this proto Hannibal type character, and let's throw you into the mix with Hannibal, with Will Graham, with these other people, and let's see how you how you play. And that that's again where the spirit of the show is there. The spirit of the, the Harris stuff is there, but they take great liberties and they make new art from that. Um, another character that they did more with is um, Jack, uh,
0: yeah, Jack Jack Crawford. Crawford.
2: Jack Crawford is a huge part of these movies, pretty much, I think, all of them. I'm not sure about Hannibal as much, but definitely Red Dragon and, and, and Silence. He's like the, the puppet master at the FBI using these agents to catch serial killers, but almost like psychologically manipulating them to some extent to, to get what he needs.
1: Yeah, you, you do have a lot more empathy in the show so yeah you know, he's like in the movie it's very much a you can tell the the machinations or are, are the wheels are turning whenever he's setting up when he's trying to get Clarice to do something in, in Sons of the Lambs and in the show he's very much one of these like he's very put upon you see a traumatic incident with a, a, another agent where the Chesapeake Ripper claims her pretty early on all due to Jack kind of putting her on that collision course with him and then you see him be very reticent to make he basically he knows Will's He knows Will's advantages about why he would be such a good person to use, but he also knows the the downside of well, if I do this, Will is probably not going to come back unscathed.
2: And that's yeah, that's to do it anyway. Right, that's the that's the cost that he's willing to to make over and over again. I mean, it's not just like one time where people are like, "Hey, you know, you're messing with this guy's head." He does it quite a lot, and even in the end, the the third season, even though he. He basically knows that that Jack or that Will will be damaged. Will just continually let him do what he's going to do and push him in the right directions. What is kind of cool with played by Lawrence Fishburne in this all three seasons, um, Jack's wife. Um,
1: oh, played by his uh, real life wife. Oh, uh, it, Gina Torres!
2: I didn't know that. Oh, that's, yeah. that's I did not realize that. That,
1: that is his real life uh, wife.
2: It is one of those again storylines that you don't. There's no. There's no basis in the books, but oh my god, Gina Torres from a lot of our geeky fans, of course, know her from Firefly. Um, she's uh, Wash's wife, and I can't think of the character's name. <laughs> um, oh, I can't remember either. Yeah, but she's 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 awesome. She's like a badass in the character in the uh, in the show. Um, she, uh, she is like dying of terminal cancer and I like, you know, you, you meet her and pretty much from the beginning, I I think it's the very first episode she's in, you know, that's what's happening. Cause I mean, they, they reveal it over the time, but like she, she has this, this arc of learning to come to terms with her cancer, but also to not to try not to ruin her relationship with her husband. But yet that's how it starts to happen. And then, then she actually actually goes to Hannibal and is like, please kill me. Um, you know, take me out because I can't keep being this to my husband. I don't want this to be the relationship we have. I want us to have, I want to leave having this amazing relationship with my husband and da da da, And then yet going through this whole up and down, you know, where we're, she she thinks she's being killed, but Hannibal actually brings her back
0: mm-hmm.
2: because of I think it was like a capricious like flip of a coin, you know, like oh I should let her die. Wait, no, no, I'm not going to let her die.
1: Yeah, that would that would that would raise too many questions. That would put too much suspicion on me.
2: Yeah, and then um comes back and is still suffering from this terminal lung cancer, and ultimately Jack has to put her out put her out of her misery. She's pretty. I mean, it was. It's it's tender. It's it's not a. This is one of the parts of the show that's very tender and, and and amazingly dramatic and and touching. And you deal with this sense of death in a show that's all about death, but in a in a very personal way. Yeah. Um. They they've put this storyline in. Um. Her character in Firefly was Zoe, and I yeah, my friend friend of ours from high school's daughter is named Zoe. I don't know why. I Can't keep Zoe in my head for some reason, but yeah, Zoe Zoe Washburn. Uh, Zoe Wash, um, mm. is uh, the character she played. So, like phenomenal. Like again, not a huge part, background character, but just another thing in this this amazing series that uh, isn't in the books, isn't in the movies, but like they wrote into it, and it feels organic to the show. Yeah. Like that again. Fuller's beauty, his his magic, his his magic of television is that this is episodic you do pretty much need to keep up week to week. It's not, it's villain of the week, monster of the week in the first season, but you still have an ongoing story and that story just keeps building throughout the and whole run.
1: It's, it's like a lot of good shows you see now is they use that first season to kind of make a serial or to make a, to world build and do a case of the week thing. And then by the second or third season, then they really kind of run with it and say, all right, well, anybody that isn't on now, we're just going to keep going and we're going to make this more of a serialized. Cause and you also kind of have to, because you go that long with, with storylines, you're going to build a lot of, ancillary details into an overarching story right um but yeah like so so we we could sit here and talk all day about all the different characters but ultimately you know what ended up happening with hannibal unfortunately is the viewership was just not there so by the i think fuller said in an interview by like mid season three or when the basically in the beginning when he had finished shooting uh, about half of the season he was Kind of more or less told by the the heads at NBC that it's like okay look things aren't looking good maybe you should get to a point that would be good for you to to conclude things as well as you would like right like they didn't let him just kind of sit him in, sit him in a lurch much like other shows have have no, no, notoriously done like you know the Deadwoods and other shows where they don't have a chance to conclude anything. Um,
2: Well, what's funny is I read an interview with Fuller where he's like, you know, we would have ended season three the way we ended it, regardless of how season four would have turned out. Like the season three ending was a season three ending. But given the hindsight that it was the end of the show, they knew that it would also work well as a series ender. Right. Because it finishes the Red Dragon arc uh, with the amazing Richard Armitage as uh, Francis Dollar Hyde. Um and it, it, it lets them tell the whole prequel. So they did the prequel and then they do Red Dragon. And even though in the books, and the movie, you know, Will Graham catches Hannibal and then kind of gets – goes in retirement basically with the family that they introduce in season three. In the, the big departure – I mean this was a huge departure in the, in the television show uh, that they, they chose to make. Keeping true to this idea that Will Graham and, and Hannibal have this sort of bromance, this sort of duality – they 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 ultimately kill uh Dollar Hyde's character after going through the events of Red Dragon pretty pretty strictly and and, and accurately from the books in the yeah. movie they they both Will and Hannibal kind of come together at that last moment and kill Dollarhide and Will or Hannibal's like look this is what I've been trying to tell you isn't it amazing isn't it awesome how killing feels like you've now seen sort of where i get my thing from you can appreciate it more you know and and i basically they they kind of let it they let it breathe a little bit that will actually does enjoy it that he does recognize that
1: but in and of a, course the as soon as he does acknowledge that then he decides to pull pull a a, uh, a sherlock a sherlock holmes uh reichenbach falls level ending and throw him himself and Hannibal off the edge of a cliff Mm
2: -hmm. so that you know
1: if he if he can't if he because he knows he could never really arrest and take Hannibal in and be okay and just let it go and move on with his life so he's like all right well fuck it we're just gonna we're both gonna go down if I'm going down if I if I can't live with you in jail then I'm just gonna have to not live either way
2: and this is after midway through the third season Hannibal is put in and, and gives himself up basically because of some of the events that have happened. Uh, but he, he does so, so that will will always know where he is. So will basically rejects him and is like, look, I don't have anything to do with you anymore. But Hannibal's like, but I know you will, you know, in this one case, if I am in prison and something comes up that you need me. So again, Hannibal like, always
1: you'll be back. You'll be back.
2: Yeah. I mean, he he's, it's the spurned ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, whatever, but but laying the foundation for, look, you'll know where to find me and you will find me again when you need me. Mm-hmm. So like there's this level of manipulation that from the very beginning of season one all the way up through the end of season three is, is present to try to get Will to be what Hannibal wants him to be. And, and Will plays along with it, like, you know, really Matt, like, you know, plays along with it in some points to use it to catch Hannibal. Like the best bait is a live lure kind of thing. Right. Um, and they do that whole fishing metaphor in season two, but also to inadvertently sort of go down Hannibal's path and become more like Hannibal. Um, so it, it's again, it's masterful. The show is 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 e- even though it did not continue. And there is there is an attempt to get it to come back as either a movie or a miniseries or something. Um, Fuller has not given up on the show. De Laurentiis, the production people behind it, they have not given up on it. They had financed it through NBC and Sky One, which is a I think British uh, cable network.
1: Yeah, but actually, I think Sky One also did some financing for uh, Battlestar Galactica.
2: Yes. yeah. so so the idea is they, they jointly pay for the show that then gets aired here on you know on NBC and then there on whatever Sky One's network. They, um, they're looking at other financing models. They're trying to see if there's a way to bring it back. of course. He, Mads Mikkelsen is is going to be all over the place soon. He's going to be in Doctor Strange, he's, he's going to be, be in Star Wars Star Wars Rogue One. He's going to be probably showing up in a lot more movies. I mean, he had been a movie star prior to that in some of the some minor roles, but he's definitely I think through this this show transformed into some other kind of level. Um but getting him back, I mean, he, he it's his like he's made his thing off this role. I think he's even said he's like I'd come back to it gladly.
1: Well, it also helps that he and Hugh Dancy are, you know, really, really close friends in real life.
2: Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, that's... Yeah,
1: uh, they were in that really bad King Arthur movie.
2: Oh, they were Clive both in Palmer. that? Okay. Yeah,
1: because uh, I know uh, Clive, or Hugh Dancy played Percival. I oh. forget who Mads played but yeah, that's where they originally met and Hugh Dancy is the one who recommended Mad Mads to play, Hannibal.
2: Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, that's cool. So, like, that's one of those things where you just go, if you're like one of those tum- and, and I, I say Tumblr people in this case, with all due deference and respect. If you like the the romantic angle of Hannibal and you like making your ship shipping uh, you know, the two of them together romantically on Tumblr, like this is a nice thing to think about in real life. Like that they actually are you know, pretty good friends, and uh, yeah. probably but not as
1: romantic. But like you said, with Mads, though, it's it's the it's the the ultimate riddle of Deadwood, where everybody swears, "Oh, well, we'd like to wrap it up," but then it's like, "Okay, well, everybody here now is a major name in some fashion," so. Right. How the hell do we get everybody to have an opening in their schedules enough to bring back to do?
2: They're bringing back X Files. Like this is to me the proof. How
1: long did that take?
2: <laughs> it took a long time, but they brought back Heroes, which wasn't as long. They brought back X Files. Now is an age where this stuff could happen because there's so many other financing models with, you know, great cable, great internet-based, you know, all these different these venues. It's not just major networks. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have a I have a good feeling that it probably will come back in some form. Some eventually eventually. Eventually, um, but they do getting the rights to Clarice would be a huge win because they could then weave her into this tapestry. But you know, one of the interviews I read because I mean, again, pulling both of those characters off the cliff, the Reichenbach Falls thing, basically, Fuller's like neither one has to be dead.
1: Uh, right. They
2: they do a post credits shot, which they then adapted as a PETA commercial. I found <laughs> out. I don't know if you saw this. No. Gillian Anderson's character uh, Bedelia, like she escapes in season three. She she somehow managed to escapes escape Hannibal even after she kind of you know thought that she might end up you know uh, meeting him for dinner, if you will. But the the post credit scene of season three after they fall at the falls implies that Hannibal does survive and comes back, and you see uh, this beautifully prepared leg of lamb or leg of something.
1: Well, it it implies more than that.
2: Well, right, because I guess what it's a table setting for three.
1: Uh huh. There were, there were two open table settings and it's basically Bedelia has cut her own leg off. It, well, if they you don't, look at it in a certain way, basically yeah. her leg has been prepared and is sitting there on the table and she has poured some, some wine for herself and is about to drink, but you don't know, there are two more play settings waiting for her. Right. So, that's the, the end cap on the, the series to give basically to kind of in, in the, the best sense think, okay, well you know, the, the story continues.
2: And Fuller said that I mean, he he. I just read this uh, today. He actually said the, the most interesting chapter of Will Graham's life is yet to come. So like yeah. unless that's just a total like, you know, inspired by Will Graham kind of thing, like both of them could be completely alive and uh, off doing amazing adventures together. Like it's a it's one of those ambiguous endings that isn't quite as ambiguous as like a, like a Sopranos or something, but mm-hmm. you could so certainly imagine whatever you want uh, my- from the ending, which is why I think honestly, if they don't make any more, I'm okay with the ending they've got.
1: Yeah. I know that like my theory as, as Fuller talked about all the crazy thoughts he would do for season four, I always considered like, well, what if by, because this is before I knew the end of the, the series as it was like, well, what if by the end, Hannibal does finally kill and consume Will, but then the show going forward is Will is the kind of literal voice in Hannibal's head. Yeah. Not to do the right thing, but as like a, a reminder of 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 something, something in his nature that has been passed on to Hannibal now.
2: Yeah. The transubstantiation sort of idea yeah. there. No, I, I think that's great too. I mean, there's so many, there's so many interesting ways that they could take it. And I think Fuller is such a great, creative force for this. Um, he's just really busy. So I, I'm kind of like, well, you know, maybe someday they'll come back to it, but
1: you it know. just makes you really hopeful, but also nervous about American gods. <laughs> Cause I've noticed in this, like I said, at the beginning of the, the the podcast, like this is my first fuller show that I've been like as, as big on as, as ever I've seen you with other ones. It is almost like a fatal love fuller shows
2: because most of them don't make it past one or two seasons. Although you know, uh, Dead Like Me made it... Two seasons. No, Dead Like Me went further than that. Dead Like Dead. Me was like four, or five, or four, three. I don't know. It went further than um, than the other ones. Wonder Falls was not even a full season. Pushing Daisies was not even two full seasons, although um, the, the Rider Strike was part of that. Mm-hmm. And then this one was three seasons. So, I mean, three yeah. limited limited—you know, half seasons, if you will.
1: Yeah, no, but, uh, Dead, Dead Like Me was only two seasons. Really? Yeah, there's only two.
2: I swear it was longer. Maybe because Showtime spaced it out more or something. But yeah. Well, then they made the movie too. But he he had left after. Anyway, long story short, you're right. Hannibal or uh, Fuller, he's not always the most like popular.
1: He's, he's got great ideas, but it's hard to bring the viewership.
2: Yes, it's a little too stylized. I know I know some people I talked to for season three they were just bored to tears because they thought it was far too expansive and sort of slow building and everything. Well,
1: the first half is definitely a a kind of a rumination on, on the ideas put forth in the Hannibal book. And it's almost like Fuller wanted to show, he wanted the the setting to be like in, in Italy as, as much of a character of the show as, as the rest of the actual characters.
2: And it totally was. I mean, like it's beautiful, like the way they shot it and and the scenes they used, uh, and the, the, that So one thing we have not said, and we'll, we should probably wrap up after this, the idea of the series was for each season to sort of uh, be sort of a psychic sequel or heavily influenced by each book, each movie. Mm-hmm. So the first series is very much influenced and directed by sort of the, the ideas of Red Dragon, even though it's not the plot. The second series is very Silence of the Lambs, and you have that with um, Will being locked up and treated as like this criminal – insane whatever but also like people come to him for help the third season starts at least the first half is very much influenced by hannibal because well hannibal and bedelia are back in italy on the run Mm -hmm. and you get the verger stuff uh we didn't really get too into that but basically they play out the hannibal stuff from from, of of mason verger and his sister uh but again with some major alterations yeah, And then the second half of season three, of course, is Red Dragon, and that plays out very much like Red Dragon. Um, having just recently seen that movie, after watching the show, I was like, oh my god, they really were – like, like they adapted this pretty close.
1: They tried to honor it as best they could.
2: Other than the ending. <laughs> yeah. Which, again, I, I haven't talked to too many Died in the Wool Thomas Tom, Harris fans. But I have a feeling like if that was still their thing and they didn't buy into the show, that would be a pretty big uh, departure for them. But yeah. but yeah, no, a great show. I again, we've kind of spoiled the hell out of it. But you know, even if you know how it ends, I'm telling you right now, watching the show, beat by beat, things will still shock you and surprise you, and you'll just be sitting there, you know, in awe of the beauty and the horrible, horrible psychological horror that is so many of <laughs> the uh, the killings. Yeah. Um, I, it sounds weird to advocate for something that's so dark, but – It's
1: you, so – it's it's dark in that you, if you like dark chocolate, it's the same thing. There's a richness and a, and a deliciousness to the darkness.
2: Yeah, and you, 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 you will come away appreciating maybe the macabre a bit more and not in a crafts way but in just sort of a, a craftsmanship way. I mean as much as people got really excited by Dexter killing serial killers, like – he was pretty brutal about it. It was pretty like, you know, nothing too artistic. This, right. Everything in this, these sort of shows art. And, and if you are a fan of the beauty, beauty of art, music, visuals, cuisine, whatever, like there's a lot here for you just to sit back and enjoy. As long as, again, you can sort of let the more macabre elements, you know, be a part of that, which, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Some people then get worried that their partners are serial killers. because, yeah, no,
1: then you know you just you, you just sleep with one eye open. Basically, yes. Yeah.
2: Um. So yeah, though no, that's Hannibal, and they're all. I think season three is coming out real soon if it's not already out.
1: And then Amazon, I think, has the exclusive distribution rights after the fact. So what'll probably end up happening once it does get released is you'll have the full season. Full three seasons on Amazon Prime to watch. So
2: you can go watch Man in the High Castle and then you can watch Hannibal. Both mm-hmm. two great shows. Totally different, but both uh, well executed. And both with a lot of X-Files DNA in them. Um, so definitely uh, please check that out if you haven't already. Let us know what you think, of course. We're on flameonshow.com, flameonshow on Facebook, Flame on Podcast on Twitter. And you can uh, email all of us uh, with our first names. Brian and Jeff, both separately at flame We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what you thought of Hannibal. Uh, we'd love to have any other show recommendations. I mean, we try to talk about a lot of pop culture and especially TV on the show, but if you have any shows that we've missed or that are coming out that you think we should check out, please let us know and we'll, we'll talk about it. And if you have any questions or anything else you want us to discuss on the show, we are always welcome, welcoming of your listener feedback, so please, please hit us up on social media or via email and we will reference your question in the show. Alright. So, thanks again for listening. I know this is normally a full cast recording, but with the holidays and with various people being out having adventures or recuperating from their adventures, we wanted to mix it up a little bit. I believe the next episode we have will be a recap show so you can check out some of the best of flame on um over the past 100 episodes i think i don't remember how many how far back we're going for our for our recap show but uh we will be back with brand new pop culture st- review and uh, stuff and, and i believe we'll be talking about star wars i mean yeah probably let, let's let's it face it well and jessica jones that's another one we got to do
1: yeah so yeah. so we, gotta, our jessica- we, we have we have no shortage of material
2: Well, pop culture just keeps on going. That's just, it's just a train. You just kind of let it leaves the station every five minutes. No, I mean, we'll be, we'll be doing separate uh, shows, I think for both topics. So uh, when you, after the new year comes around, when we have our new episodes, you'll, you'll get to hear what we thought of these uh, interesting and awesome things over the holidays. So stay tuned again, flame on show. And we'll soon um, be on the Googles. I think they're doing their podcast thing very soon. We've, Submitted, so if you you like the Google, look for that uh, on Google Play's podcast listing. We should be up there as soon as they release it.
1: All right.
2: So thanks again. And uh, on that note.
1: Flame off.
0: Thanks for listening to Flame On, a podcast made possible by Powder Milk Biscuits, the ones in the blue box, a comic shop and the generous support of tops and bottoms like you. If you want to be one of our sugar daddies, you can help out by telling a cute single friend about us, reviewing us on iTunes, or putting some dollars down our digital G-string in our monthly support drive. For more ridiculously entertaining, and socially enlightening episodes of Flame On, as well as other fine programs, head on over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to Flame On and all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via iTunes. And be sure to find us on Twitter at Flame On Podcast or Facebook on our Flame On fan page. And make sure to check out flameonshow.com for more nerdy queer in your ear. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more.